You and I live in a world that is full of narcissism and self-promotion. And if you don't believe me, all you got to do is watch a show like the Kardashians for like six seconds, right? To see how crazy things are and other shows like it. And, and the crazy thing is, is that in this culture and we li- that we live in, we do kind of prop people like that up and we emulate them and we try to, to, to mimic the way that they live their lives. And it does impact us. And David Hume, who's a humanist, not a Christian at all, but here's what he says that really kind of sums up the world in which we live. He says, all is self-love. Were the idea of self removed, nothing would affect you. You would be altogether inactive or insensible. Or if you ever gave yourself any movement, it would only be for vanity and a desire for fame and reputation to this same self. And that so much speaks into the culture in which we live, where so often you and I can be so self-centered. We can be so focused on what we want and we don't even have to try all that hard, right? Because of our sin nature inside of us, the desire and the craving for self is easy and it's natural. And then when you add into the, the culture in which we live, it becomes even more natural, And the danger sometimes is that you and I can become self-centered, but be completely oblivious to it because it seems like everyone else is self-centered too. And the end result of our selfishness, even though it may seem natural, can create negative ripple effects all throughout our lives. I was reminded of this uh, over the last couple of weeks with this show that my wife and I watch all the time uh, called Big Brother. Anybody watch Big Brother? (laughs) Nobody? Nobody watches that show. Man, all right. You guys all watching the Kardashians or something? What's the deal? All right, so Big Brother's this show. Let me catch you up. It's been out for, for a while, but uh, it is a really fascinating show. In a lot of cases, like a social experiment. So they, they take all of these random strangers and they put them in the house together. They're from all walks of life and ethnicities and social backgrounds, all that kind of stuff. And then they put them in this house and they have no access to the outside world or social media. And then there's a camera that follows them 24 seven. And they're learning to coexist together with each, you know, with each other. But not only that, they're also at some points working together. And at some points they are competing against each other through games and different things. And the goal is to eliminate each other from the house. And at the end of the season, the last person standing wins a half a million dollars. So you should tune in. It's really fascinating. So that's the show. So this season, there is a, a house guest on there and his name is Swaggy C. And there, there's a picture of him. And he's got the Swaggy C shirt. And, and maybe you kind of know where I'm going with this. So maybe you think, hey, I've got a nickname that people called me when I was a kid or you know, my parents gave me or whatever. But no, 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 that's not the case with Swaggy C. Swaggy C gave himself the nickname Swaggy C. Like he said, I don't even know what his real name is, but he said, introduced himself when he got into the house and everybody has to call him that. And he refers to himself that he's got t-shirts that are printed up. He's trying to hand it out to other house guests to wear his, you know, his swag. And, and this is kind of the, the height of self-promotion. And so when he's talking to other house guests uh, during the season, or when he's in, in front of the camera in the diary room, he always refers to himself in the third person. So he's like, Swaggy C is the best at this competition or Swaggy C is running this house or Swaggy C is gonna be the one to win the half a million dollars at the end, right? And this is how he talks all the time. And it's it's arrogant and boastful. And yet the only person that doesn't realize how arrogant and boastful he is, is himself. All the other house guests are like, who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? 
And so not only did he not, spoiler alert, not only did he not make it to the end of the show, but this week he actually got kicked off. He was like the second house guest to be eliminated because nobody could put up with it anymore. And so it got me thinking like, maybe, maybe I could come up with my own nickname. If you ever given yourself a nickname, you should try it. So like, for example, from now on, I'll just be known as, I'll give myself the nickname Swaggy T or Curly T or I don't know, something. All right. And so we'll try this out for the next couple of weeks. You don't refer to me as Todd or, or Hey Loser or anything like that, but it's only Swaggy T from now on. Right. And I'll get t-shirts printed up. It'll be a little curly headed dude on it. I'll pass it out. You guys can wear the swag. It'd be amazing. Right. Who's down? Nobody. A couple people. Probably out of self-pity. The rest of you guys are like, who do you think you are, right? You're not nearly as important as you think. And none of us would really be quite that brash about it, or at least most of us wouldn't. But yet we can be self-centered and it can impact other areas of our lives. We can see marriages all the time who, that, that fail in our culture. And a lot of times when you look at the root, root issue is self-centeredness. It can play itself out and look a lot of different ways, but at the root of it, it's selfishness. My wife is amazing in terms of how much she sacrifices for our family, how much she serves uh, our kids and me. And if we get sideways or we get into an argument or whatever, a lot of times it's because I'm being selfish. And you can't have healthy marriages as long as either spouse is self-centered. We see friendships that end all the time because at some point individuals start making that about them and only think about what they want rather than the interests and the needs of the other person. We make a mess sometimes of our finances because in our selfishness, we think, well, I've got to have this thing, even though we don't have the money for it. We see it in social media, like the the video pointed out where we look at Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever things we may be on And we look at those avenues as an opportunity to build an audience for ourselves, to make ourselves look important. And so we're putting pictures out there and posts and things like that to make us look put together and impressive. There's leaders of corporations and organizations and even churches sometimes that make self-centered decisions based on ego that have negative ramifications for other people. It can even impact our our worldview, where we start looking at the world around us as everything is relative, there is no standard of truth. And it is, it is incredibly attractive for us because at the end of it, we get what we want, right? We can do whatever we want. We can live our own life however we want. And no one can speak into that or has the authority to tell us otherwise. And so often the mindset that we live with is what matters most to me is me. And the end result of our selfishness is that we start thinking that we're better than other people. We start becoming propped up and arrogant. We feel entitled. Our relationships can become shallow or dysfunctional. We even look at serving other people as an opportunity to put the spotlight on us and make ourselves look important. And that's why researchers have declared that we are in a culture that has a narcissistic epidemic. And then you look at how Jesus lived his life and it couldn't be more opposite from that. 
And it is convicting for me when I think about how many decisions I make that are just based on what's in my best interest. And then I try to line that up with Jesus and it just runs completely counter to that. And Jesus made statements like in Matthew 20, 28, where he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In Philippians chapter two, uh, six through eight, the apostle Paul gives us such an incredible picture of the heart of God. And here's what he says, starting in verse six. He says, Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and he made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God. Even when that caused his death, death on a cross. I love that line that Paul uses where he made himself nothing or some versions say he emptied himself. And in a world that we live in, that's constantly telling us to make ourselves something. God, the creator left heaven and he made himself nothing. And it doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his deity. He didn't stop being God, but he gave up the glory and the honor and the recognition and the treasure of heaven. And he gave up all of the things that he deserved and the privileges and the rights of one that deserves to be served. And instead he took on our sin and our shame on the cross. Westers, listen to the, the power of that. Do you guys understand how big of a deal that, that example that Jesus set for us, that Jesus who deserved all the honor and the glory gave up the honor and the glory in order to serve people who don't deserve the glory and the honor and yet don't wanna give it up. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse nine, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. That is the hope that you and I as followers of Jesus can hold on to every single day and live. And we see that example that Jesus said in the way that God modeled his life. And Jesus didn't set that example for us so then we could think that it's all about us. But Jesus showed us the example of selflessness because his desire is for us to live selfless too. In Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus gives us the command if we wanna follow him. And he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? If you gain all the glory and all the honor and all the recognition and all the prestige and all the power and all the things that the world has to offer, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Earlier in that Philippians 2 passage, right before Paul gives us the example of how Jesus lived, here's the command he gives us. He says, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. 
In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. You must think and act like Christ Jesus. And you and I don't think or act like Christ Jesus more than when we're selfless. So how do we actually go about doing that? How do we live selfless lives in a culture that is so self-centered? I think Paul gives us the example and the mindset and the heart attitude that we need, not even like throughout our lives or even day by day, but moment by moment where we constantly remind ourselves of this truth that he says in Galatians 2.20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it is first and foremost, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus at the moment of salvation, we, that old self has been crucified with Christ and we become a new person, a new creation. But it's more than just kind of a one-time thing that happens at salvation. It is day in and day out and moment by moment, a reminder for us that I've been crucified with Christ. That old life is gone that old life of sin, but also my desires and my plans and what I want to accomplish, all of that has been crucified with Christ. And Paul says the answer for us to live selflessly is that we need full devotion to Jesus and full devotion to Jesus requires that we die to ourselves. That we die to ourselves, that we give up the rights to ourselves. And it means that we no longer look to what we want in relationships. Or we no longer look to what we want with our finances. Or we no longer look to what we want with our time. We no longer look to what we want in the day-to-day -day things that we do. And that's incredibly difficult, isn't it? Because so much of what we do, we are conditioned to think, what's in my best interest? And it's moments like that where it reveals whether or not we're able to live selfless lives when what we want is compromised. I think it's a whole lot easier for us to live selfless when, when we don't have to give up anything, right? When our lives and our way of life isn't negatively impacted. Sure, yeah, I can give a, a few minutes of my time because I've got nothing else to do. Or yeah, I can, I can give a few dollars to this because it's not really that big of a deal. I've got a little bit extra, so it's not really gonna impact me that much. But what about in those moments when it's inconvenient? What about in those moments where it doesn't benefit us or when it costs us too much? And sometimes it's moments like that that we start defaulting back to our selfishness. And the true test are in those moments where it reveals to us whether or not we have died to ourself or whether we still have self at the center. God's desire every single day is to wake up and to say, I've been bought with a price. God, my life does not belong to me. God, it is no longer about me. And so God, I am dying to myself and whatever it is that you wanna accomplish in me and I'm giving up my rights to myself and I'm giving up my plans and my desires and God, I'm trusting you, I'm, I'm dying to myself. It is no longer I who live, 
And Paul says that in, when we come to moments like that, where we're able to take that step, he actually says we gain something greater. In those moments where we die to ourselves, it's Christ who lives in us. Christ now lives inside of us. Christ now empowers us to live the lives that we could never live on our own. And in order for us to experience the fullness of life in Jesus, we have to be willing and ready to fully die to ourselves. So what does that actually look like? How do we live with selflessness, practically speaking? I think selflessness looks like a couple in our church, Jason and Christy, who not too long ago got connected into our re-engaged ministry, which is focused on helping married couples experience healthier marriages and, and things like that. And so they looked at this as an opportunity to, to work on their marriage and, and see their marriage become healthier and, and more selfless. And so they, they jumped in to re-engage and God began to work on their marriage and God brought more health and, and healing to their marriage. And they started seeing uh, the opportunity to live selflessly towards each other. And not only that, but God then gave them, has given them an opportunity now to lead other couples to do the same. And so now they're able to step in and invest in other couples and help other couples learn to live selfless marriages. And it didn't even just stop at their own marriage, but now they've learned to be selfless in their family. And they've adopted three younger siblings who have come from a really messy, rough family background. And they've taken these three kids in and they've made them their own. And they're learning to selflessly serve these kids and work through these challenges that these kids have faced before they got into their house. I think selflessness looks like a group of middle school boys who at rush camp earlier this summer, as we were talking through this whole selfless theme and one night after dinner, a group of middle school boys and their, and their small group leaders actually took some of the food and they started walking up and down the boardwalk and around handing out some of the food to the homeless men and women in the area. And they started praying with them and just sharing the love of Jesus with them. And we think man, middle school boys, all they do is play video games, right? But they don't. Sometimes they do amazing stuff like that. I think selflessness looks like Dara, a student, a, a leader in our student ministry who has been serving a group of girls for the last few years, started in middle school and then she moved up into high school with them. And she's got all the reasons why it would be inconvenient to do it. She lives almost an hour away. And so it's a time consuming thing to get here on a Wednesday night. In addition, she's a full-time college student. I mean, there's all these different reasons why she, she shouldn't do it. And yet her heart is burdened for these girls. And so she has poured out her life, life into these other girls and made such a dramatic impact that they've invited more of their friends and more of their friends. And the group has gotten bigger and bigger. And we've had on three different occasions that had to break up the group because Dara by herself can't invest in all of them. And that burden and that heart for students and kids is shared by so many of our small group leaders in this church. And there's so many more opportunities for some of you to get involved if God has burdened your heart for that. I think selflessness also looks like what I was able to see yesterday at, at Gather Atlanta, which is an event that Love Beyond Walls, Terrence and his team do every single, uh, on Saturday, once a month, where they have an opportunity to serve the homeless community in downtown Atlanta and do an incredible job of, of that. And so yesterday, this was a little bit different in that rather than serving the homeless, it was a chance behind the scenes to just help clean up the Love Beyond Walls um, 
building and facility and for people and Terrence and his team that, that pour out so much into the homeless community to be able to serve them. And there wasn't a camera crew, TV news wasn't there. Wasn't a chance to blast it all over social media and put pictures about what we've done, but just a chance for a team like this, just to humbly come alongside and serve people and be selfless. That's what selflessness looks like. But it's not a one-time event. It's not a box that we check, but it is a, a lifestyle. It's a heart attitude, a mindset every single day that looks at our life and says, I've been crucified with Christ. God, you gave up everything for me and I wanna give it back in thankfulness to who you are. And so God, would you become greater and greater in my life and help me to become less and less. Maybe this morning you're in the room and you've never taken the step of salvation. Maybe you look at your life and, and it is self-centered and you've, you've lived for yourself and that's really the only way of life that you've known. And maybe you've never taken that step of putting your faith and trust in Jesus and receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus has offered you through his death on the cross. And this morning, that is the starting point for you of being able to start living for something much greater than yourself, of receiving the free gift of salvation. For the rest of us, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, this isn't just a good idea. This is something that Jesus modeled it for us and may it inspire us as we walk out of this room to live selfless lives in honor and glory to the one who gave everything up for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the amazing picture that you set for us, the example that you gave us when you left all the glory and the heaven that you rightfully deserved and you came and you surrendered it all and you became obedient to what God's will was, death on the cross, that you became poor so that by your poverty, you could make us rich. And so Father, if there are men and women, students, kids in the room this morning who have never taken the step of faith, God, may they do that today. God, may we all learn to die to ourselves that it is no longer we who live, but there's an opportunity for something greater for you to live through us. God, help us to do that. Help us to live that out. We praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen.